What's up, y'all? This is John and Mike back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast. And this week we are continuing our Puncher's Chance team series. If you haven't listened to the last few weeks, um, we've already done Ole Miss, Kentucky. Last week was Texas A&M. We spoke with Robert Barron's managing editor of Good Bull Hunting to talk about the 2023 Texas A&M football team. Um, So if you haven't listened to those, we highly recommend you do. You'll be a more informed SEC fan. But tonight we actually have Michael Hogan from Rivals.com to talk about the most interesting Big Ten West team, and that is the Wisconsin Badgers. But before we get into all of that, how was your weekend and what are you drinking? Weekend was good. I finished uh, painting for the most part, so I think we're all done until I'm sure we have to paint something next year in the house. But um, this morning, well, uh, I guess it was kind of on the weekend, but then ended up coming into today. One of my uh, one of my kids, Lincoln, decided that he was going to spray stain remover all over a bunch of stuff in our uh, our man cave area. Hit our hit my uh, Matt Stafford autographed uh, UGA helmet and smudged it up a little bit. So um, it was a pretty crappy start to you know this uh, you know quote unquote work week, even though I'm not working right now, but. Uh, you know, again, nowhere to go up here, but uh, how about you? Oh, yeah, I'm doing a Southern Comfort still. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, good weekend. I Saturday, I had uh, – I may have said it on the show before, but Buddy's teaching me to surf. So we went out yeah. and uh, went surfing on Saturday. I was actually able to get, like, halfway up and ride a few waves on Saturday. Okay. Um, got to a point where I could – pop up to my knees and like turn the turn the board with the wave as it was coming in so I'm pretty excited about that. Now I have another expensive hobby to go with guns, <laughs> tattoos, whiskey and uh and that kind of stuff. So if anybody knows somebody selling a surfboard that needs work, don't forget um I grew up poor so I know how to fix everything, you know, just fun yeah. fact there. Um and speaking of fixing, I get a call from Kelsey as I'm on my way home from work. And Champ busted out another one of our antique windows. Um, it's the second one he's done in probably two months now. So, you know, add that into the list of the things I can do. And I've I, so someone told me recently that it's like a trend on social media for girls to be like, oh, I want a blue collar guy. I want somebody that can do everything. Mm-hmm. One thing I've learned from growing up poor and being a blue collar person per- currently have the ability to fix everything, but have the money to pay somebody else to do it. Yes, preach. And then be <laughs> cheap enough that you still refuse to let somebody else do it and then do it yourself and get angry in the process. Cause that's what I did today, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. that's, that's marriage in a nutshell, ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was telling Mike before we got on, I look shitty, feel, feel shitty, smell shitty, might as well get shitty. So um, I've actually, because this is our anniversary episode, drop the lead there. Um, I've actually been holding on to this bottle for like two years. It is a very old St. Nick harvest rye. They do two batches of very old St. Nick a year, and they've got a spring rye and a fall rye. And so this is their fall rye of 2021. 
Okay. I guess it's two years that I've been holding on to this, looking for a reason, a good reason to drink it. And uh, anniversary episode seems like a good time to do it. And it's a uh, 118.8 proof. Uh, you'll be well underway to getting shitty with that. Um, it is a wax dipped bottle. So if y'all will excuse me while I rip this wax off. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, while, and, uh, uh, yeah, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, say, uh, while, uh, while you're doing that, just, uh, to, you know, recording Monday night, I just wanted to point out a couple of things about SEC media days, the first, uh, the first day of it over there in Nashville. Uh, so like, uh, like John talked about, we, we, uh, talked to, uh, Robert from, uh, good bull hunting last week about Texas A&M and, you know, we talked about the possibility of, you know, Jimbo maybe doing Jimbo things and getting, you know, getting in his ego and all that and not letting, uh, Petrino call plays. Well, he didn't, he definitely did not, uh, he didn't, <laughs> uh, definitely, or, uh, what am I trying to say here? Definitively. Um, Definitively, yeah, Jesus. I, I've only had like one drink so far. Um, he didn't definitively say that he wasn't calling plays. So, like the quote that I saw from, um, I think it was uh, uh, somebody from Rivals as well, saying that Bobby, uh, that Jimbo said Bobby was hired for a reason. Tremendous guy, which okay, eyebrow raising there. Okay, tremendous not, football not mind. A great, not a great motorcycle rider. <laughs> yeah, not predator is probably another thing you can throw on there too. But you know, well, that's a, another topic but uh, <laughs> tremendous football mind i mean we can i guess we can agree on that maybe not a great leader of men at this point especially the way it ended up at uh, louisville but anyway the whole quote was bobby was hired for a reason tremendous guy tremendous football mind hopefully he can, uh, he'll call the game and have suggestions the hopefully part is the funniest part of that i'm 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 so off the bandwagon for AM. i was on it after our conversation last week just with that quote alone i'm off of it i think this is going to be such a dumpster fire this year. Oh man, it's uh, it'll be interesting because they do have a couple of tests early. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you start, you'll be able to see almost immediately what's a Bobby Petrino play and what's a Jimbo play. And yeah. like, if it's a tight game against Miami and you start seeing Jimbo plays, I I would almost not expect Jimbo to have a job come uh, December. But then who do you – oh, in December, after, yeah, after the season's over. But if they, if they had the balls yeah. and they were that mad to fire him right now, because it wasn't – that was a thing with Parson, too. They fired him midseason, even though they would have saved, what, uh, almost, what, uh, eight it's figures? It's just money. will like make that. more tomorrow. What's that? It's just money. They'll make more tomorrow. Yeah, that's, that's true, especially there. But uh, – yeah, Auburn fired him midseason when everyone thought that that wasn't going to happen. So you know, maybe they'll eat that that money at a in a college station and say, "Hey, you know what? What's a better option than than Jimbo, <laughs> Durkin, or Petrino?" Which I can't imagine that really being a better option. No, I mean Petrino obviously has his history, and then we can't forget that DJ Durkin was the guy that was. Um, you know, I'll go ahead and say it: responsible for people dying at Maryland. You can say he's an accomplice to it. Uh, not even allegedly, I don't think. Uh, you know, real, real Alabama basketball style. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's like 90% my fault, but it is what it is. You know, I'm not getting tried for it. Wrong place, wrong time. You know, 
those players were at the wrong place. You know, they shouldn't have been in Maryland. That's that was the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, correct. <laughs> but um, sidebar before we go into this next next SEC media days thing. Very old Saint Nick is very very good. Um, okay. So if you have two hundred dollars to spend on a bottle and can find it, do it. Is it at my place near me? The uh, the Berwick beverage or whatever. Maybe I found this at a little hole in the wall on uh, on Whitmarsh Island when we first moved in. Oh, nice. Um, all right. So the other thing, and ooh, there's you know three teams total that we're going to just very quickly mention. So uh, Brian Kelly had some wild things that he said, but he had a but joke also that wildly fell flat. Accurate. He is. I mean, but it's wild that he was that candid. Um, the, being the first person to speak at Media Days at that. But he's uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, so it's not not exactly what he said, but it wasn't. It's not too far off. Um, he said that LSU has a talent to win, uh, win the West, so obviously beat out Alabama and all that, and compete with them. But they're not ready to compete with Georgia, which, like I said, kind of wild that he was that candid, especially playing LS uh, or playing Georgia in the SEC championship last year. I know it was a you know twenty point uh, difference between the two, but that's wild that he openly saying that yeah we can't compete with Georgia yet. But, you know, on the flip side of that, I mean, obviously everybody knows what Georgia talked about last year with like, oh, everybody's doubting us, this, that, and the other. Nick Saban makes his team have doubts all year, every year too. So, I mean, it could be a very public coach feet thing. Of he was trying to be like, yeah, you guys aren't good enough to beat Georgia. Prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. And I mean Kelly's a hell of a coach. I mean that I wouldn't definitely wouldn't put it past him. But the doesn't has not always shown the best, uh, or at least not having the best uh, way of words with stuff. Which kind of leads me to what I was the other thing I was going to say. He had this joke when we were we were sitting upstairs, kind of half listening to it. He was like, "Oh, you know, at least we get to practice in the cool Louisiana breeze." And he's like, he paused for a second to like wait for somebody to laugh, and like nobody laughed. He's like, "Come on, it's a joke." It's hot. I will say it might just be because I have a ridiculously dark sense of humor. But what was it the a few years ago, that game against Florida State where they said something about your team didn't yeah. execute, and he's like, oh, we should execute all of them. I literally <laughs> that, laugh my ass off mm-hmm. listening to that. It doesn't I get brought up enough. dark sense of humor, but that was some of the funniest <laughs> shit I have ever heard a coach say on national television. It that does not get brought up nearly enough for all, all the times that he gets shit on, uh, for you know personality stuff and the family things and whatnot. That <laughs> he should that should be at the front of his like portfolio for like. See, I'm a cool guy. I, I make funny jokes. I like I, I you know it, that to me is up there with all of the Kirbyisms we've heard through the year of. You know, how about those fucking dogs and four quarters of hell and like yeah. non-Georgia coach speak? We should execute all of them. Number one for non-Georgia to me. That's such a dad joke too, though. Like it, but the ball is to pull it off in a in the post game interview. Prime time opening weekend. Yeah. National <laughs> television. We didn't execute. I, I'm in favor of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best best thing I've ever heard come out of a non-Georgia coach's mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one uh, one last thing before we get into the uh, the interview. Uh, I said drunk on there. Is that name is definitely drink. 
Drinkowitz. Yes, but, uh, name is Drink. I was going to point it out if you didn't. <laughs> drunk. Because <laughs> <laughs> he may have been drunk. That's how he um, was calling plays last year, it seemed. Yeah. <laughs> and one other thing before I even get into what I was going to say here. I know like years passing went by Eli. He's, is he going by his full like birth name now? It's like Eli, Eli, not even Elijah. I mean, it looks like Elijah, I guess, but I don't know. I I've been busy all day, so I have no idea. It I, I saw it like in a few different places, like Elijah or whatever, like his you know full name. Elijah. Is. It's spelled weird. Yeah, there's no J. Yeah, I Elijah. just googled it. Elijah. If, if he is going by that, it's Elijah. Okay, but interesting that. Uh, and he would go by that, and even us just like sitting here, like you know, shooting the shit, are not able to figure it out right away. At least not me, because I wasn't looking at it. I just saw it off side. But anyway, so Drink said, I think he was on. I think he was talking with Feinbaumer on the SEC Nation set or whatever. But he said that he's not going to be calling plays. So that is wonderful news if you're a Missouri fan, because they uh, were piss poor with him calling uh, calling the offense. So, but if you were kind of on the could get worse. I don't think it will with the guy yeah. they got from Fresno State because mm-hmm. he was good at Fresno State. Mm-hmm. But it could be worse. It could be. I mean, even – I mean, you got Cook coming back and all. Then we'll get into, like, all our preview stuff, you know, in the coming weeks, you know, like next month and all that. But um, but having Luther Burden there, but not having Dominic Lovett, um, you can tell that he – that uh, that drink was a little bit pissed off or and really didn't want to mention Lovett by name because he had multiple – times that he could have said love its name but he kind of just kind of glanced over it like oh we're missing that you know the guy we had last year from it like he he who must not be named because he is that angry about him leaving um yeah i mean you heard it here first uh dominic love it is lord Voldemort. breaking news breaking news and <laughs> do the do the uh dance hall reggaeton horns <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that's pretty much pretty much all I had I had from it. Um, tomorrow, and you know, as you guys are listening to this, hopefully uh, uh, today, Tuesday, uh, I think Kirby speaks second tomorrow. I think, but I know he's I okay. know Georgia goes tomorrow. Okay, I'll um I'll probably tune into that, but I do want to bring up one thing. Here in the next few weeks, we are going to crowdsource some hot takes for the 2023 yes. season. Doesn't have to be Georgia. Doesn't all college football. I mean, any literally anything college football. We're going to be crowdsourcing some hot takes to talk about on the show. Hit us up on social media. We make making posts. You can comment down there. Send us direct messages to any of our accounts, anything like that. But if you have a hot take, I mean, it can be absolutely wild about Georgia goes 0-12 if you want to. But uh, but we'll be doing that here in the next few weeks. So if you want to go ahead and start sending those in, do it. But we will uh, take a break and then get right back when Michael Hogan comes on with us. So tonight we have Michael Mike Hogan from Rivals.com to talk about the most interesting team of the Big Ten, Ten West. That's the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, Mike, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? You can be as brief or as detailed as you'd like to be. Yeah, thanks guys for having me on again. Um, I covered Badgers for Badger Blitz at Rivals. I was previously at 24-7 Sports for two years. I actually just started at Rivals, so you guys are catching me in a 
<laughs> in a transition period here. Um, Almost breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> um, before that, I, I graduated college in 2021 from St. Bonaventure University. Always have to shout them out. They're out near Buffalo, New York, small division one school for those of you aren't familiar with that kind of mid-major basketball fever <laughs> um, and then I grew up in Milwaukee so um, you know I returned here after school and it was nice to kind of didn't envision myself coming back to Wisconsin but it's the way it kind of worked out and glad I glad I did it's uh it's been a nice summer here you guys were just complaining about how hot it was it's, <laughs> it's cool here in typical Wisconsin fashion it's been been pretty hot but um football season's almost here it's an exciting time for sure. Um, uh, so what brought you to Rivals and just like sports media in general? Sports media, you know, I, I uh, grew up uh, wanting to be a a uh, broadcaster. I kind of was just, you know, interested in, in that kind of thing. I was really into hockey when I was little. I wanted to kind of go into that hockey broadcaster. I'm glad I didn't because that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of quick memorization. The puck going really fast. Um so pretty much all throughout my childhood in high school, I kind of wanted to go into broadcasting and I did a lot of it in high school. I kind of like did my own little like uh, high school basketball broadcast. They wouldn't even be televised or put on YouTube. I would just record it and do it myself, kind of practice. I, mean, I got to college, still kind of figured that I'd, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, but I joined the student newspaper when I was freshman early on, September, October. And I kind of just like, I don't know if I liked it right away. I just kind of stuck there. I just kind of like caught on and started covering soccer and just all the small, like non-revenue sports. And then, you know, I, I got some opportunities covering division one basketball. The Bonnies made the tournament a couple of times when I was there. So I kind of got to cover some, some bigger games and Atlantic 10 championship winning teams. And so that was really good experience. You know, I worked at a couple of different publications while I was there, uh, tapping the greater only online newspaper intern covering high school sports I actually you know I did a lot of other things too like covering like news and politics and all that kind of stuff uh COVID was obviously the biggest story in my junior year so I did a lot of that covering COVID and just kind of trying different things but I always kind of I always knew I would go into sports and my senior year of college I actually I got you know one of my internships that summer like before that year got canceled. I was supposed to cover a baseball, like a summer baseball team. Um, and it got canceled because the season was just completely wiped out by COVID. And then one of my connections in Nashville, who was covering the Titans for a website there, um, offered me a chance to kind of write for him, contribute a couple articles. And it was cool because like, I was really lucky because like all the Zoom, all the press conferences that you were on Zoom. So I basically got to cover a whole NFL season as a senior in college. And nice. I skipped well, class. Awesome. I skipped class a couple times this year to do some articles, but um, well, we won't get into that. My professor didn't care, but um, old news now, I guess. But yeah, I did that for a year. It was really cool, good experience, beat writing experience. I kind of treated it as like a full time job, um, and I, you know that pretty much solidified. If it hadn't, wasn't already solidified, it was solidified. Then I was going to go into sports writing and ended up at twenty four seven sports. You know, like I said, for two years and. And now, um, you know, I'm fortunate to have gotten an opportunity at um, at Rivals with a good team there. John McNamara is our recruiting guy. He, he's kind of the site, the, the main guy in the site, site editor, site publisher, whatever you want to call him. And we got a couple others, too, that contribute to 
football and basketball. So we got a good team there at Rivals. You said you grew up in Milwaukee. I see the uh, the W flying back there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a Cubs fan. Um, unfortunately, this this year and the last couple of years, not much to be proud of. Um, they yeah, I, I grew up and I was kind of like my, my parents are a Red Sox fan. Or my dad's a Red Sox fan. My mom's family. They love the Mets. So basically anybody but the Yankees. All my friends are all my friends are Brewer fans, uh, but you know the Cubs. There's a lot of Cubs fans in Wisconsin. And the Cubs, when I was little, like the games were still on WGN, so you'd come home from school and turn it on. The Cubs play all those day games, so you get you get home and watch the ball game. And uh, Sammy Sosa was my idol when I was like three. So yeah, um, I don't care about the cork bat or anything. Everybody was cheating then, so <laughs> yeah, yeah you cheating, should be in the Hall of Fame. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of the same thing for me uh, as well. Like the Tigers were always bad growing up, like for the most part. So like I would watch a lot of Cubs games in the afternoon and then the Braves at night on TBS. So um, yeah, I definitely have a soft spot for the Cubs as well. But yeah. I, I don't. I've been a Braves fan my whole life. <laughs> I mean, I have a Braves tattoo. I don't know if it'll show up on camera. Yeah, there it goes. Um, I spent probably two mortgage payments going to the world series a couple years ago. I just always braves. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about 2022 before we get into this upcoming season. And we're going to go ahead and get the negative stuff out of the way because that's what we're not, what we're focused on today. Um, and like I said, if, if it wasn't for us thing in Wisconsin was going to be significantly improved, they wouldn't be on the list that brought you here with us. Um, so Mike, if you want to go ahead and get to the 2022 stuff. All right, cool. All right. So like, uh, like John said, 2022 was a pretty disappointing, disappointing season by Wisconsin standards. The team went six and six in the regular season, and then we'll get to the bowl game at the end there. But, uh, when six, went six and six in the regular season, uh, four and five in big 10 conference play, uh, head coach Paul Chris was fired after five games after going two and three to start the season. Uh, Jim Leonard became the interim coach and went four and three to finish out the regular season. And something that doesn't happen all that often, which I think it probably should, to be honest. And I think, you know, kudos to Luke Fickle for this. But after Wisconsin hired Luke Fickle away from Cincinnati, uh, he decided to coach the team in the bowl game. And Wisconsin went on to beat Oklahoma State in the guaranteed rate bowl 24, uh, 24 to 17. So with all that said, uh, what went wrong for uh, Paul Chris last season and, and uh, and especially because he was not necessarily a lifer, but I mean, he, you know, he was at uh, at Wisconsin. He was a quarterback in the 80s and he was on the coaching staff for a really a, a good part, a large majority of the 21st century. So what what went wrong with him to fire him midseason last year? Yeah, you know, it was it was surprising, you know, at the time. Now, looking back on it, probably was the right, you know, right call. Absolutely. By Chris McIntosh, the team was trending and the wrong direction, but you, you, you pointed out, you know, Chris was, you know, program lifer, play, grew up in Madison, played mm-hmm. for the program. He came back when, shortly after he started his coaching career was here. Then he went to Oregon state and came back, was on staff for a while. Pitts went to Pittsburgh and then he came back here uh, when that opportunity came up in 20, I don't know, 2012, 2013, 2014, right around that kind of time before I was here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was the athletic director, Chris McIntosh, came out like four. It was weird. Like before that Illinois game, he came out and talked to a couple of media outlets in town here and, and it told them that 
Chris job wasn't in jeopardy. And that was after they were embarrassed by the Buckeyes and Columbus. It was a total night nightmare game for them down 21, nothing after the first quarter beaten 52 to 21. I think that was the final score. Stopped paying attention to the final score after a while. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I think it was a collection of things over the years that, that went wrong, some recruiting missteps. Um, you know, they went a significant portion of time after, I think it was, you know, like 2021 season, they didn't have a full recruiting staff. It was, they're basically all of them left to go to Michigan state and they kind of neglected that, um, that department for a while. They had people working in it, but it wasn't fully staffed and, there was a lot of things that weren't tied up on that end, just kind of unorganization on, on his part, really, uh, that kind of led to some issues there. There was a big article about it on The Athletic. Jesse Temple uh, kind of dug into that part of it, and, and that was pretty revealing of of some of the things that, that went wrong there. Um, and then just, you know, you look at over the years, just like the lack of quarterback development. Chris is a quarterback guy, played quarterback, coach position. He's, it was his offense, his quarterback. It wasn't working. Um, you know, uh, Graham Mertz was such a highly regarded guy coming out of high school, four, four-star recruit. He was actually, at the time of his commitment, he was the highest rated quarterback commit in Wisconsin history in the online recruiting ratings era. He never panned out. He had that one great game against Illinois in 2020 when he threw for five touchdowns and, you know, tied all these program records or set program records, just absolutely lit up. Illinois, I, I think, you know, looking back on it, it was probably the worst thing that ever happened to the kid because he had such a great game in his first career start and there's already so much hype about him. And he has, he, he totally, you know, has a performance for the ages, but it was against Illinois and expectations from there went, went way up when they probably should have, shouldn't have COVID totally disrupted that year. It was a disaster for them. Um, so that, that year, you know, some things from that year you can throw away, but um, obviously the result you know, COVID or not, wasn't up to their standards. They just barely snuck into a bowl game. In fact, I think they got in because, uh, you know, there was all those weird rules with bowl games that year because so many different teams played a different amount of games. So they snuck in, beat Wake Forest in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. The next season, the expectations, okay, normal, somewhat normal year. We had a full off season, pretty much spring ball, ball camp. Nothing was interrupted by COVID. That year, uh, they, you know, the offense was was terrible. Uh, Graham Mertz, again, just, just didn't take the, the next step he needed to take in his progression. And some of that, obviously, is on, on Graham. But, you know, Chris is, like I said, is a quarterback guy, responsible for the development. Didn't happen. Um, they they had a, you know, I guess an okay year. They, they won nine games. But, you know, they lost. to they, they were embarrassed. Michigan beat them pretty bad at Camp Randall. They lost to Penn State. They got crushed by Notre Dame and Chicago. And then they they lost to Minnesota. All they needed to do in that game was win, and they'd be in the Big Ten uh, West. They they'd be in the Big Ten championship game, and winners of, of the West. I think if that that game changed a lot. I think just looking back, if they get that that West title that year, is the pressure so much the following year to 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 deliver? And uh, and it turns out, you know, they, you know they they hired a new offensive coordinator in the offseason, Bobby Ingram. Offense didn't really make any notable improvements last year. Um, and, and um, you know, there were some other staffing decisions that he made that were questionable. 
He hired an offensive line coach as the running backs coach. He had no experience coaching running backs. I know like sometimes it doesn't matter when, when, you know, position it's position coaches can be versatile. Like they can coach different, different spots. It's not that all that uncommon, but I mean, this is Wisconsin. This is a program known for its running backs. And I don't think that was the best he could have done there. And and there were some other, you know, moves that didn't work out some staffing co- position coaches. Um, and then I think just the big thing was just the, the way they were losing games last year, you know, Washington state came in here, Wisconsin just showed a lack of focus, a lack of discipline and, a lack of energy at times. And those are kind of the things that Wisconsin's always kind of prided itself on having an edge in the, on the margins. And, you know, they might not have the best talent, but they are going to play hard and they're going to be fundamentally sound and they're not going to make mistakes and, and beat themselves. They were in that Washington state game, 11 penalties for hundred some yards, um, turnovers, uh, just terrible special teams mistakes. They lose that one 17 to 14 the next week or two weeks later, Ohio state, that game was a disaster, as I already mentioned. And then Illinois came in here. Illinois uh, came up to Camp Randall, thirty-four to ten win. Uh, it was tw- it was fourteen to ten at halftime. Illinois led and still very much a ball game. And Wisconsin just kind of crumbled in the second half. Didn't didn't show any fight. Just atypical for a Wisconsin team. Uh, they they Chris the, the big post game quote that day was Chris telling the team draw the bleeping line in the sand, and they came out and crumbled and. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if the players don't want to admit it, I, I, to me, that's kind of a sign that, that something was broken in that locker room and a change needed to be made. And, and you know, Chris accomplished a lot in his time here, but his last three years and, and maybe even going back further than that, considering the lack of a quarterback that, that he was able to develop, uh, you know, just kind of all caught up to him, all kind of compiled to, to that one point. I don't like people felt they felt reactionary at the time. Um, you know, considering the results, getting beat by Illinois, a team that they typically have just dominated over the years, and a, just a mediocre Washington State team. It, it felt reactionary, but it wasn't. It was just kind of, to me, looking back on it in hindsight, it was really a compilation of things over time. And, you know, the rest of the season was interesting because the Big Ten West was still wide open and everybody pretty much had a chance. And Jim Leonard, you know, did a, a pretty good job in with a team like I, I thought it was unrealistic to expect him to completely just do a 360 on the whole season and change so much. There's only so much you can do in October. The season's you know already halfway over pretty much when he took over. And, you know, it was just kind of a, you know, he did a good job, won some games, had him in business. They would have won that Iowa game. Uh, they they would have had a good chance to, to probably win the West and, he put them in position and, and 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 had the guys kind of rallied around him. Everybody wanted to be the head coach in that locker room. Uh, there wasn't anybody who didn't want him to have that job. It kind of, you know, for, for a couple of years, it kind of seemed like, you know, Leonard was turning down overtures from the NFL and obviously a number of college programs probably called too. Uh, it kind of seemed like when, when the decision was made that this would be the rest of the year would be for Leonard to kind of put his spin on things and kind of pick up and continue to pick up, the, you know, keep going in the offseason, kind of a head start really on on what everybody kind of expected to be his job. Um, but, you know, uh, Chris McIntosh kind of quietly behind the scenes was 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 putting together a plan to to make a big swing for Luke Fickle. And and, um, you know, the, that decision was made, you know, some disappointment maybe for for fans that wanted Leonard to get the job. But right now, months later, everybody's. Fickle has his fan base ready, ready to skip the rest of the summer. <laughs> there we go. 
Yeah, it was wild kind of from like an outside perspective that, I mean, Chris won, uh, what, three uh, Big Ten West titles. I mean, I mean, you know, for, for a program in Wisconsin, and obviously they've won some Big Ten titles in the past before. But, I mean, it seems like, I mean, he did a pretty good job for the most part. But like you said, it kind of all just fell apart. And that kind of used to seeing what can be perceived as like reactionary firings in the SEC. But that's not typically something that you see in the Big Ten. So that was that was definitely, you know, caught my attention. And so I lived in Columbia, South Carolina for about a year. And that was the year that Spurrier got fired. And through talking to some people, I got a behind the scenes look of kind of like the story of his downfall. And actually a lot lines up with what happened to Paul Chris. The recruiting staff wasn't there in South Carolina's perspective. It was they cut the budget because they kind of wanted Spurrier out. Um, but lack of quarterback development, losing to teams that you don't normally lose to. I mean, that year they lost to Kentucky and they hadn't done that in a long time. I, I mean, it all somehow, some way lines up there. And it's just, it's odd the parallels you find in places you don't expect to. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the general consensus here was, you know, shock, at least for people that the fans obviously want, we're ready for it to happen, but. You know, I think the media was shocked just because of the support that Chris had, had been getting from the athletic director who was talking to the, the newspaper in town here. The newspaper in Milwaukee as well got him on the record just about how he wasn't going to make any. And that was actually the way it went down, like the in-season move. Um, that doesn't happen here. That that has never really happened here. I think it was there was some crazy stat about it was the first time a coach had been fired here mid-season and like. 30 some years or something like that. That's, that's, oh, wow. that's not, or if it ever had happened, I, 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 you know, it's a long time ago, October, a lot has happened since then, but that's, that's not typically that that's not the Wisconsin way of doing things. Uh, their way of doing things is letting their coaches have chances to, to figure it out, to, to make changes, to, to fix, to try to fix things. And mm. you know, what that message sends now, when you look at it now, when you look at it a couple months later or in the summer now uh, that, that, McIntosh maybe was Chris had had his chance to make changes and, and he saw something that just needed to be done and, you know, needed to make that decision right, right then and there. Um, right now, you know, it, it, it obviously has worked out. Um, you know, they haven't played a, a game yet, but uh, very encouraging results so far on the recruiting trail for Wisconsin. And, and, you know, they had success, the transfer portal this off season, which is another thing that they didn't really put an emphasis on in the past. At least it didn't seem like, um, they, they made some moves there and then, uh, they have, they fickle put together a very intriguing staff that has people excited. So, um, you know, uh, opti- you know, it was a, it's, it's, it's funny. Usually after a bad season like that, like there's a lot of pressure and, and, and even with a new coach, but right now it feels like last season feels so distant, just the way that the new staff has come in and really boosted the optimism and, 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 and fan base engagement, you know, around the program. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got we've got quite a bit a little bit further down about the staff that's put together and just kind of how wild it is and how accomplished these coaches are. But so last season, like we had already talked about, the offense struggled quite a bit. The Badgers averaged 26.3 points per game, good enough for 77th in the country. 
And you already said Graham Mertz had a, a phenomenal first game in Madison. And I actually remember yeah. sending a text to some of my friends. If he can keep it up, he is on track to be in New York for the Heisman. Because I, I watched that game and uh, didn't live up to the hype, especially after that first game. And last season completed 57% of his passes, 2,136 yards, 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Um, the offense overall averaged 183 passing yards a game. And so this isn't much of a Wisconsin question, but as Georgia fans and as a Georgia podcast, should we be at all concerned about Graham Mertz at Florida? <laughs> I, Not to poo-poo the guy, but I'm really I'm interested curious. to see. I, I am really interested to see what – what he looks like, I think that a fresh start was needed for, for both sides. Obviously, Wisconsin, new staff, a chance for them to bring in new quarterback, which they did. They brought in three of them to the portal. Um, and for Mertz to just to kind of go somewhere else, you know, three years here, just never really delivered what everybody expected, fair or not. Uh, those were the expectations when he committed, that he was going to be a, a difference maker, and he really, really wasn't. And uh, I think it was time for him to move on and for Wisconsin to do something else. I think even if he stayed, they probably would have. I was saying it all last year, October, November, telling people that even if even if he stays with a new coach or Jim Leonard, it's time for them to think about doing something else. So I think his future here was was murky, regardless of whatever he decided to do or whatever Wisconsin decided to do with the coaching decision. But you know, I'll be interested to see how he performs. You know, he didn't look great. I mean, the, the reports out of Florida, I wasn't really paying attention that much, but the reports out of Florida didn't seem that overwhelmingly positive in the spring. So, I mean, is it going to be the same Graham Mertz? You know, listen, I think the guy, if if you if you take him for, for who he is right now at his career, I think he's a guy who is could be good enough to win you seven, eight games, get you a bowl game. Um, that's basically what he was here, but I, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's that's going to take you to an SEC championship game or pull off any huge upsets. It's just the turnovers. I mean, it's just yeah. it, turnovers and and accuracy and just it just doesn't seem like he's ever been able to figure either of those two things out. You know, ten interceptions last year. He had uh, you know twelve or thirteen the the year before that, and just you know just backbreaking interceptions. It always felt like they they came at just the the worst possible time for an interception, you know, they're trying to tie the game or, you know, they're, they're ahead by seven and the, you know, it's just, just crushing turnovers. And, um, you know, if he can, if he can figure out a way to limit those, I think he can, you know, if he can get in like maybe the five, six, seven interception range, then you're talking about a, a guy who's a game manager. Uh, he's not going to screw it up. You know, he'll, he'll make a mistake every now and then, but uh, I think that's who he needs to be. He's never going to be a guy that's, that's that's going to light it up. I think I think he it'll be interesting to see how, if, if he's changing his approach at all. I think just kind of being finding a way to be consistent is where he needs to kind of live. And um, it, that's always been a struggle for him. But I, I don't think Georgia fans should, are going to be losing sleep, especially with with that defense. Um, and that's another thing, too. I mean, he, if, if you thought the Big Ten defenses were were tough, I mean, you're about to go against. I don't know Florida's schedule this year, but I mean, Georgia, it's. That's gonna be, <laughs> Oof. yeah. Their 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 schedule is pretty brutal. I mean, they start uh, at Utah, so I mean, I think we're gonna chop that up as a loss. But 
uh, LSU out of the West, and obviously they play Georgia and, and all that. So it's going to be tough for the, uh, the Gators. And just watching like the spring game, just seeing Graham Mertz and uh, the other quarterback that Florida had, um, you know, Florida fans will spin it as, you know, the defense played really well. I, I wouldn't say that, but, um, I, you know, the, the, Good news, just, though. Judging, Great just judging news out the for- spring game, I don't think there's anything to really worry about too much either great news for Graham Mertz is that um Florida got a quarterback drafted fourth overall last year that threw 17 touchdowns and nine interceptions um for most of the season the question with Anthony Richardson was gonna was gonna be does he have more tackles than touchdowns and uh he (laughs) barely barely had more touchdowns and tackles but you know you know number four if he can get to 20 touchdowns he might go number three (laughs) <laughs> never know <laughs> I'd be surprised alright so uh, the defense was definitely the strength of, this, uh, of the Badgers last year the team allowed 20.2 points per game which was 17th in the country and typically Wisconsin really has a great front seven uh, just traditionally uh, was the defense a legit top 20 defense last year or did the, uh, did the Badgers benefit from playing the teams like Iowa which you know is allergic to offense uh, Illinois, Northwestern, uh, Nebraska to a certain extent. Yeah, you know, last year I felt like it was a step back for them uh, defensively, at least compared to the season before. And that's a high bar. They were really, really good the season. But they were up there with Georgia the season before. And I guess the same thing can be said every year when you're in the Big Ten West. Well, your numbers are probably inflated because you're playing teams that are just inept offensively. Uh, but I but I just thought oh, from the look of it, I, th- I thought that, that last year's defense, they had two really, really good players. They had Nick Herbig, who led the Big Ten in sacks and tackles for loss, um, and Keanu Benton, defensive tackle. Uh, wouldn't pop on the stat sheet, but just a really, really good guy in the middle. Um, helped others make plays, opened things up for them. Um, he went in the second round of the Steelers, and Herbig went in the fourth round of the Steelers, so they're on the same team again. Um, Thanks. The rest of the defense, it was a young group. You know, they, the inside linebackers in 2021, Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn both went to the NFL. Uh, so Muma Ajang Menta and Jordan Turner were just, and Jake Cheney and a couple other guys were just trying to, took them a while to settle in. I thought they played better as the year went on. Like later in the year, I thought they really were making some plays, really, really productive. Uh, Najong Mena actually ended up leading the team in tackles. So, you know, I think those guys improved throughout the year, but it was just kind of kind of one of those things where, you know, you, neither of those two guys had played much over the previous couple of seasons because Sanborn and Schnell and a couple other guys barely came off the field. So, you know, they were kind of getting, even though they'd played a little bit, they were trying to get up to speed. Um, the secondary dealt with the injuries. Um, you know, Alexander Smith was their number one cornerback coming out of spring, had a hamstring injury to start fall camp, and he was out until – basically November. So, um, you know, he, he was kind of that, that put him in a tough spot at corner be, uh, because they had to rely on a redshirt freshman who hadn't played much, you know, at all. Um, he actually, Ricardo Holman, that's his name. He, he played well the first seven games. And then once he got deeper into big 10 play, teams are starting to pick on him. Uh, Michigan state, just a couple of their wide receivers scorched him in that game. And then the rest of the year, he didn't, he didn't play much. And they, they brought in a couple of transfers in the off season two um, cornerbacks and, you know, Jay Shaw from UCLA, he was solid for him, but the other two guys were kind of up and down uh, dealing with injuries. It's safety. Hunter Wolder was supposed to be a huge part of their, of their defense last year. And he missed most of the year with injury. So 
they had a lot going wrong for they had a lot going against them last year would be a better way to put it. I, I think that it was a good unit. It was, but not typical. I don't think they were as dominant as, as they had been last year. Mm. So we're going to move on to just a couple of off season and transfer questions. And, you know, obviously the biggest off season addition was arguably, and I think a very good argument, the best coaching hire of the off season, bringing Luke Fickle in from Cincinnati. Um, how excited are Wisconsin fans about that hire? And what do you think he'll do differently than Paul Chris that will lead to that sustained success? Yeah, I mean, I think you can point to any number of things right now that are I, I don't think Luke likes to talk about how much they've changed. He 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 talks to like about how how they're that you know, Wisconsin's had a great culture for years and they're just trying to enhance it. And I guess that's the way they're looking at it. And at least the way they're talking themselves into, into how this is going. But I mean, let's face it, they're, they're totally changing their identity on offense. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're going to an air raid and that's, I mean, who would have thought Wisconsin would be running an air raid, right? Like this, that's just not like, that was not in anybody's vocabulary. Uh, it was so fun to watch. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and um, you know, it's say goodbye to the fullback, I guess. Right. And, and, and using, <laughs> all 40 seconds of that play clock it's that's gonna those two things are, are long gone here mm-hmm. and uh you know i think the thing that it, at least this off season and we'll see how things evolve over time but um you know i think this off season you look at it like i think what they're doing in the weight room and this might not be unique like to other programs in the country because everybody brags about how great their weight program is whatever but I really think what they're doing in there is different compared to what they had been. And from what the players told us, um, you know, in the, in the off season or in the spring, um, you know, it was kind of like, well, we'd go in there, we'd work hard, we'd, we'd get our stuff done. We'd, we'd go hard in the weight room, but it was just kind of like, a, you know, maybe a little bit of a mundane kind of thing. Like they just get in there and do their work and get out this year, you know, under Brady Collins, he's just kind of revitalized that, that part of the program, which is crucial. And, and, you know, they were, they were doing, they were doing all these compet- weird little competition things that we'd see on Twitter. They post these videos of like the guys doing these, these races or they're pulling, pulling ropes or they're, they had this like funny little thing like Gatorade flip cup. I think you're just seeing these little things like with the culture of, of the team that's they're putting themselves out there a little bit more that way. They had this crazy thing called squat fest. Um, which is like, I saw that. it was their heavy squat day, but basically, you know, because, you know, Collins was basically saying that, you know, it was, it, they want to find ways to make it fun to enhance the experience in the weight room. And, and they took a little heat from it, from opposing big 10 fans. A lot of people thought it maybe was a little phony, a little extra, but they, they brought strobe lights into the weight room and they brought a DJ, a, a DJ from Barstool Sports came in and, and they were doing all these goofy things with face masks and stuff. But I think that, that, that you gotta have, you gotta, you gotta have that stuff. This is college football. Yeah. And these are 18 to 22, 23. I mean, sometimes nowadays with the extra COVID year, you can get some older, older guys, but um, you know, I think they're, they're changing things there and giving themselves a little bit more of an edge there in that regard. And I also think another thing off the field that has struck me, and I have no idea if any of this is going to help translate to wins, but I know that matters in recruiting. Um, they're, 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 uh, social media efforts. I mean, they're, they're doing cool little things with the players 
engaging the fans a little bit more. They're opening up the doors to the fans and the recruits uh, to see what's going on inside that program. They're, 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 there's so many things they're doing. I mean, they, they recently they dropped this new series, taking a deep dive into players tattoos. What are the, what are the stories behind the players tattoos? I think that's a unique little thing. They did a lot of like little mini movies behind the scenes during uh, spring camp, getting to know the new staff and, kind of taking people behind the scenes, recruits and fans. I think Wisconsin, in my opinion, and they might not agree, but they they, they were doing the bare minimum in that regard um, of the last couple of years, maybe even the whole time under the previous coaching staff. I think that, that staff, and they were good recruiters. They brought in some, some good classes, but I think they, they could have, there was more meat on the bone. And I think that this staff is showing that they're going to let that happen. They're going to, they're going to, it's, it's a whole program effort is what you're seeing. Like it's not just the coaches, the frontward facing guys, it's the social media team. It's the weight room. It's so many little intricate details that go into running a program. And I think they're, they're just being a lot more open with it. Um, and then, you know, like there's, there's so many things you could point to that are different. Um, you know, I think I mentioned the offense already, but I think they're, they're making themselves more attractive to high end playmakers that way. I think you're seeing, I mean, you already saw it this offseason. You saw three quarterbacks who were all, I mean, Tanner Mordecai from SMU. He he was very accomplished quarterback there. Braden Locke, Mississippi State transfer. I mean, he was highly regarded coming out of high school. Nick Evers, transfer from Oklahoma. Another guy who was a four-star coming out of high school. So, I mean, you know, and they got four, four wide receivers. C.J. Williams was a four- or five-star uh, from USC. Uh, transferred here. Bryson Green from Oklahoma State. A couple other guys. I mean, they're just, you just see it. The offense and Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator, having an impact. People are noticing. Players are noticing around the country what what is changing here. You could tell that from the way that these players were talking about it this off season, and it's been interesting to watch. So, uh, what would you say? Uh, what was it about Wisconsin that convinced Fickle to go to Madison? He he was highly sought after, especially you know after the playoff that that uh, Cincinnati made a couple years ago, and he was in like in in the conversation for all these big time jobs um, and obviously Wisconsin's a pretty big time job as well, but he often took his name out of the consideration for those jobs. But what was it about Madison that convinced uh, uh, Fickle to go there? I think, it, you know, he's kind of talked about it. Like, I mean, there's never been like a, there's never like a right time or something like that. It's, you know, I, I think it was a combination of things for him. I think, you know, I think I've heard this, him say this a couple of times in press conferences or like radio interviews, like, think the big 10, the big 10 and, and, and not just the big 10, but his direction that's going mm-hmm. expansion. I think that was important to him. And I think he just kind of felt like it was a good opportunity for his family. I think, I mean, he said like in his introductory press conference, something along the lines of like Wisconsin was one of the jobs he would leave Cincinnati for. Like it was just one of those attractive opportunities for him. Like he played in the big 10 and he knows um, the culture of this program is uh, well, when he came in as an outsider, like he, he respected the foundation of this program and what Barry Alvarez and, and, you know, Brett Bielema and, and Paul Christ even had, had built here and established and maintained. He respected the program. He, he liked the area. It was a good place for his family to land at. And I think just like the big 10 too, like I started with, like, I think that was a big motivating factor for him because um, I mean, it's big 10 in the sec right now, whether you like to admit it or not. And, 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 and it's, everything's going to be changing, you know, next year, um, you know, USC and UCLA, and there's a new media rights deal and 
I think it was just the right time for him to, to make the move. And that's kind of the way he's, he's uh, described it to us. Yeah. Luke Fickle went uh, when Jim Harbaugh was kind of floundering before the last two years before winning the big 10 and, you know, getting to the playoff. Luke Fickle was one of the ones that I wanted at Michigan. If they were going to, uh, going to fire Harbaugh now, was he going to go there? Probably not. He was an Ohio state guy uh, yeah. through and through. Wisconsin, Ohio state aren't exactly like heated rivals. No, he doesn't have that kind. Con- he doesn't have that problem here. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine what that would be like for like an Ohio State life where you played there. Yeah, I, I know it's been done before, but wasn't mm-hmm. Bolt Schembeck Beckler? Wasn't he an Ohio? He state was. State? He was. He he worked with Woody Hayes, and he's from Ohio. He was from Ohio originally. There's a saying in Michigan that the best players in Ohio go to Michigan, or the best people in Ohio go to Michigan. So I mean that. You know, it, it would kind of follow that train of thought if he. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't imagine what that would be like though for. For uh, Ohio State, like guy, played there, coach there for a long time. What it would be like to just—I know you got to do what you got to do in this profession, mm-hmm. coaching. But man, that would be that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I'm glad it worked out with Harbaugh. I mean, it was kind of like the same thing with Chris. Is that right. it, it wasn't working out, or, or well, for Chris, it was working out early on, and then it kind of you know soured at the end. But with Harbaugh, it wasn't working out initially, and then the last two years have been great. And now they're you know, you know, back in that national title hunt and, you know, perennial big 10 favorite type thing. So actually, that's actually a good point. Like it, it can take some time, like it, mm-hmm. to, to really establish your program. And I don't know how long it's going to take fickle. I mean, there are some fans that are expecting a complete, like, Oh yeah. 10 wins this year, college football playoff sleeper team. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. Like if that's the right way to, it's a good lesson, like Harbaugh's success and or slow build really to that success that he's had and it seems like they're gonna have a really good team again this year like it's a good lesson people look at like sometimes it could take four or five years to get where you want to go we'll see what happens here in wisconsin but i think that's a good cautionary tale and and one other thing i'll say before we go on to the the next part with uh with what you said was with uh wisconsin going to the the air raid so when uh, Lloyd Carr retired at Michigan. They went to Rich Rodriguez. So like went from like the three yards in a cloud of dust type offense that, that Michigan had been running for 30, 40 years to uh, the spread with, with again, with Rich Rod and all that. And then that failed miserably. That was the worst stretch of Michigan football that I could ever remember. Um, so it, and I don't think, I think Fick was a way better coach than Rich Rod. So I, I don't think it's going to, it would, there, it can even possibly be as bad as that, but um, there is, there is some room for error when you're, radically changing like that but again i don't think luke luke fickle is a good enough coach where i don't think it's gonna happen but that is one thing to you know keep in the back of the minds of uh of wisconsin fans that you know it could be better or it is a lot worse (laughs) it is it is the transfer portal period and they brought in a lot of guys that are used to running this system so you're not taking three yard and cloud of dust players and saying all right go be an air raid offense because they got a lot of these guys that we're going to talk about here in a minute Mm -hmm. yeah Exactly. I think that's the big thing with the air raid. Like, yeah, it's going to be a huge, it has been a huge adjustment will continue to be for the guys who've been here. But I mean, they did kind of maybe soften the blow a little bit with obviously a quarterback that's experienced the air raid and then all those wide receivers as well. Mm-hmm. So we got one last question for really Luke Fickle question. And then, uh, and then we're going to get on to the offense. So when Luke was hired, he started with a massive overhaul of the coaching staff and hit the portal very hard. Um, Wisconsin brought in 13 players from the portal, a ton of which were offensive guys. But outside of the quarterbacks, 
which transfers are the fans most excited about? You know, it's funny. I think like before the spring, if you would have asked Wisconsin fans about that, like who they were most excited about of the transfer class, I think they would have probably said, um, you know, outside of the quarterbacks, I probably would have said CJ Williams. Um, and I think there's still a ton of excitement for him because he's, I mean, he's is was as good at ab- advertising. We got to watch all 15 spring practices. So we got to see pretty much, every, you know, every session, every play. I mean, guy's a playmaker but I think right now at least this is is my sense and maybe maybe a little bit of my opinion but uh I think Will Pauling the slot receiver transfer from Cincinnati is going to be very 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 intriguing this year um if you look at Longo's offenses traditionally the slot receiver is putting up the biggest numbers Josh Downs last year last couple years at North Carolina went over a thousand yards the last two years a lot of touchdowns a lot of catches yards after catch uh Daz Newsome North Carolina, another North Carolina guy that played under Longo, another successful slot receiver, and even AJ Brown going back to Ole Miss. Uh, when when Longo was there, he he lined up in the slot predominantly in I think 2018 or whenever it was, uh, and he racked up a bunch of yards and catches and touchdowns, led the team in all three categories, I believe. So that's the guy I'm most excited to see, uh, just because I think that there's such a big emphasis on that position in the, in the offense. It's a lot of quick, like. Yeah, there's going to be deep passes, downfield throws, but a lot of times they're getting the ball out quick. And, and if you got a receiver who can find space and get open like Pauling, um, he can be dangerous. And and he was kind of was kind of funny. Like you talk to these Cincinnati coaches who saw him last year, like Mike Brown, the receivers coach, you know, coached him at Cincinnati. And, you know, I we kind of asked him, like, did you kind of see this coming last year? Because he started to turn it on, apparently, like in training camp last year, started to emerge as a weapon for him. And he had a couple nice games early in the year um, as a reserve, put up some nice numbers, and then he got hurt. And he missed like five or six games. Um, so he's this spring he kind of got back to where he was. So, you know, you talk to people who were on that staff, and even Quincy Burroughs, another transfer receiver from Cincinnati, you talk to those guys about him, and, yeah, they, they saw this coming from last year, what he could be. Um, so I think, you know, after spring ball, I think a lot of people – um, including myself as, as an objective per, you know, reporter, I, I'm really excited to see just, just the potential for him in this offense. Cause he saw it in spring, you know, catches like a short three, four yard pass, turns up field and he gets you first down or, you know, he'll catch a slant over the middle and, you know, he'll, he'll be off to the races. It's just, he's got great speed and great vision and kind of it really seems like a really great feel for the game too, as a slot receiver, just knows space really well. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and uh, just talk. Well, we'll talk about the returning production real quick before we get into the offense. So overall, about seventy-two percent of Wisconsin's overall production is returning, with seventy-five percent of the offense and sixty-eight percent of the defense. But uh, going in the offense, so in uh, twenty twenty-two, the offensive line finished the season tied for sixty-fifth, allowed in sacks uh, or in sacks allowed with twenty-seven, with losing two guys to the NFL, but bringing back Jack uh, Bicknell Jr., who uh, has coached the line for multiple twenty top top 20 rushing offenses in college football uh, as the offensive line coach, how much uh, is the, uh, is the offensive line going to be able to improve in 2023? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it, and obviously this, this scheme is different, really different for these guys, especially the the pace uh, at which they're playing. I mean, they're, they're not, like I said earlier, they're not lining up and using all 40 seconds of the play clock. They're sometimes going no huddle and they're just, get up to line. I think that's an adjustment for these guys because a lot goes in, especially the center. 
you know, making calls and adjustments and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think that's a big adjustment for them. But I think the big thing for that unit this year is just continuity. Like last year, I don't think we ever got to see like their best, ver the best version of that line because so many injuries, illnesses. I mean, they use like, I think in the first like seven or eight weeks, it was like five or six different like, combinations of starters, multiple guys wow. missing time. There was only one guy, I think it was center Joe Tipman, who didn't miss any time last year uh, because of, of an injury or illness. So they were just dealing with it last year and just plugging gaps and throwing guys in there. <laughs> it was just a new guy. I mean, you you'd really have to pay attention during games because, I mean, there could be – they felt like every other series there was something going on with the offensive line. They kind of got it settled down toward the end of the year. They, they kind of settled. But like I said, I mean, if these guys haven't been playing next to each other all year, I mean, how do you expect them to get comfortable? I don't think they ever got comfortable next to each other last year. Uh, as you mentioned, this year they returned basically their whole entire line. Joe Tipman went to the NFL. Uh, he was a great center for him for two years, drafted in the second round by the Jets. So, you know, they got Jack Nelson at left tackle. This is going to be second year, third year as a starter, but second year at, at left tackle, second straight year there. Uh, big expectations for him this year. I've seen a lot of, like, second or third round NFL draft buzz. I've seen some first round, too. I think a lot of people are – I think he'll open have a chance to open a lot of eyes this year. Um, you know, Riley Malman, the right tackle, he missed – he started – I mean, everybody was expecting him to be the big breakout performer on the line last year. And he started the first game in the third quarter – of week one hurts his knee out for five or six weeks, maybe longer than that. Um, so, you know, um, and then they got a new center of Jake Renfro transferred from Cincinnati. Um, I think that's, that's, that position is he's got to, he's got to stay healthy because in the spring, um, you know, he, he started off good, impressive. Um, and he played a lot of ball at Cincinnati too. And then he, you know, got injured second week of spring and, and then, um, they had issues snapping the ball. Their, their backup centers couldn't snap the ball. I mean, they were not used to the, Maybe it's just the difference of the, so many shotgun snaps. These guys aren't used to it, but they were really struggling. I mean, they you can't have that problem, um, and especially in this offense when so much is reliant on timing and just quarterback being in rhythm. They're really going through it there with their backup center. So that's that's going to be a key spot. I'm, I'm curious to see. It sounds like Renfro will be back for fall camp. That's good news because they're going to need that. And then both the guard positions, they got Tanner Bordellini, who I think is a, is a sleeper of an NFL draft prospect. He's very versatile. He can play, uh, he can play any position on the line. He's played all, he's played tackle, guard, and center, um, both on the right and left side. I think he'll be valuable. Um, and then uh, on the right side, they got Michael Furtney, six-year senior, Um He's been pretty consistent throughout his career as well. So they got a lot of uh, unknowns. Um, you know, they got guys they're banking on, like returning to form uh, after injury. Malman, you know, he can stay healthy this year. That's a big deal on the right side. And then, you know, the t the, the guard spots might be – that might be a rotation kind of thing. Like they'll have like Bordellini or Furtney. They might play. They'll, they'll probably play most of the snaps in the game, but they might get a series or two off. They might have a guard rotation this year because Bicknell Jr. has kind of used that in the past at his previous stops. So, yeah, this offensive line is going to be really interesting um, this year uh, in this new offense with uh, a lot of different, you know, you got Nelson on the left side, like I mentioned earlier, you know, and then you got 
bunch of experience, but in depth, but we'll see how if they can just maybe get a little bit more continuity this year. And I think, I guess another thing I'd, I'd like to say about this line is that, you know, I think they might look better in this offense just because it, it is kind of like Jack Bicknell Jr. was explaining it to us in the, in the spring that it's one of those offenses that it can kind of cover up for a mistake. Like sometimes some like in his words, I mean, they're getting the ball out so fast. Sometimes like if a guy misses a block, you're not going to know because balls are already out of the quarterback's hands. There's not going to be a ton of, I think the pressure might be taken off these guys in some ways, because there's not going to be all these deep drops or play action passes or, and there's not going to be these loaded boxes that they've dealt, they've dealt with in, in recent years. I mean, it's, it's hard to consistently do a good job up front when you're a running team, when the other team's just, loading it up and sending everybody because they know the run's coming. I think a lot has worked against this offensive line in recent years, and that's kind of led to some inconsistencies. All right. So uh, Wisconsin's always been known for their running backs. Um, you know, we talk about Melvin Gordon, uh, Monte Ball, uh, going even going back to Ron Dane. Uh, but since Jonathan Taylor in 2019, the position has been uh, has not been as good as it uh, typically is. I mean, you can make an argument for Wisconsin being RBU, although Georgia likes to make that argument as well. But Wisconsin's definitely up there uh, can you know make that argument as well. Uh, what can be expected out of the running back room in 2023? Yeah, I think I think the expectations should still be really high for this group, even in an air raid <laughs> offense. Um, I've made this point over and over again over the last couple months, and kind of going back to when Longo was hired that, you know, you look at his numbers from, from pre his previous offenses and you dig through those rushing numbers and he, some, some of his, his units put up some good, good numbers in the rushing category. You know, I use 2020 as an example. He had uh, Michael Carter and Javante Williams at North Carolina. Both those guys that year went over a thousand yards rushing mm-hmm. um, and, and North Carolina over the four year span that Longo was there, they averaged about 190 yards rushing per game. That was like the, first or second highest total in the ACC in that over that like four year stretch. So, and you know, the quarterback runs another component of it that maybe helps those numbers look, look better inflates those numbers a little bit. But the point being, I still think you can expect Braylon Allen to, to rush for over a thousand yards this year. I, I think that's still very, mm-hmm. I think I would say, you know, anything over like 1500 would be a stretch. I think, I don't think I can't envision that many, yeah. but I think, I think you'll see him um, become more well-rounded running back this year in this offense. Um, you know, he'll still get his rushing numbers. Um, he'll have more room to work with. He's even talked about it himself, like just not having the constant nine or eight, nine man boxes. I mean, over, over the last two years, if you, you know, pro football focus did an article on him in like January and did crunch the numbers that he faced the most loaded boxes of any running back over those two years. So that's not going to be an issue for him anymore. Um, and, and the passing game too, I mean, he'll be more involved there. You're going to see Wisconsin running backs have more responsibility in, in other aspects of the game and the offense. I think you'll see Braylon Allen, his touches will increase that way with the, with the uh, receiving, um, you know, he's got more speed than some people like to give credit for. He's six foot two, 240, but he's still got, he's got, he's got great speed. Um, and you've seen like, you've seen a lot of people compare him and, you know, not to, not to say it's like he's Derrick Henry, but a lot of people do compare him to Henry um, as like a college prospect. And it kind of makes sense just with his measurables and his speed. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I covered the Titans for a little bit and just kind of seeing Henry on the swing passes. If he gets enough momentum, I mean, that's dangerous play. 
Yeah. You get him out on the edge. I mean, you get him, you know, isolated with a defensive back. I mean, that could be dangerous. That that could be a huge advantage mismatch for, for this offense. Um, there's so many different ways they can use him. And, and, and he's really excited to kind of be utilized in different ways. And then Chaz Malusi too, their number two running back. He transferred from Clemson um, before the 2021 season. He's been really productive for him when he's been healthy. Um, in 2021, he was on pace to rush for over a thousand yards. And then he tore his ACL in November. So mm. that was a big setback for him. Um, he's a little bit of a different running back. Um, he's got a lot more power than maybe some people give him credit for, but he's kind of a speedier guy, smaller, quicker little guy um, for him. So, you know, different kind of a change of pace from Allen, big bruiser with, with speed, uh, dangerous combinations I already mentioned. But uh, Malusi last year, um, numbers were down last year, dealt with some injuries again, uh, was banged up for a while from like October on, from like early October into in well into November, he was hurt. So, um, you know, uh, he'll be another guy. I mean, he's, a, he's another intriguing guy with a little, maybe a little bit more speed, um, get him on, get him on some screen passes. Um, you know, and I still think that there's a chance he could maybe approach a thousand yards rushing. I still think this team might be more balanced than some people. I think the air raid is kind of given a little bit of a misconception, here, people just think Wisconsin's just going to come out firing it. Uh, you know, Longo knows his team's strength, and right now I still think their strength, despite all the talent they added at quarterback and receiver, I still think their running back, Braylon Allen, is their best playmaker. I, I still think Chaz Malusi's in that conversation, too. I think, you know, Longo said it himself. Like, I'd be an idiot not to run the ball with these guys. Um, so they're going to they're gonna run the football this year, and they're going to be they're gonna be balanced. I, I think that the concern that Wisconsin's no longer going to be a team that is known for its running backs might be a little bit exaggerated. So the wide receiver position may be one of the most improved positions for this team going into 2023, retaining guys like Skylar Bell and I hope I say it right. Chamire DK. You got it. There you go. Yeah, there Ooh. you go. Oh, I am glad I did that phonetic spelling. <laughs> Um, and then getting guys like Bryson Green from, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but this is the biggest Oklahoma State podcast outside of the Oklahoma State footprint. Um, and then CJ Williams from USC, as well as a couple of guys, and you've already talked about uh, Pauling from uh, Luke Fickle's Cincinnati teams. So which are the guys uh, give me one or two names that you think are going to be the biggest breakout receivers in uh, in this season. It's tough because I feel I feel like so many of them could. Um, because if you look at the transfers, like Williams, even though he's so highly regarded, highly rated prospect at high school, you know he didn't play much at USC last year. So anything for him this year is going to be a breakout. Um, I, I think he's one automatic. I already talked about Pauling, but I mean, they, they, they want as many as six receivers in rotation because they want to keep guys fresh. Um, so, you know, I think um, right now, I, I guess like the top six would be like Williams, DK, uh, Pauling, Bell, Keontas Lewis, Bryson Green. Um, and then there's some other guys. I mean, I, I think Keontas Lewis too could be another breakout guy. You know, he was third on the team in receiving last year, catches yards and touchdowns, but I mean, he has, deep threat ability. The guy always just seems to be getting behind the defense. 
He did that a couple times last year, had like two or three like catches of like 40 yards or more. So, you know, he's capable of, of making some big plays. He's a guy that I would, I would guess as a, as a breakout um, DK, I think that he'll, you know, I, I think he's their number one. Um, you know, he had 600 some yards receiving last year, six, six touchdowns. If I'm going correctly off the top of my head, um, you know, he, I think he's in for a big year, um, you know, uh, and then Bell too, you know, another guy, 400 yards, 440 some yards receiving last year, had some nice moments. So I think just about anybody in this, in this group could, could break out just because the opportunities are going to be there. Um, there's some younger guys too, that, that I'm interested. Tommy McIntosh really made some strides at the end of the spring. Um, he's, he's huge. He's a big kid, almost looks like a tight end. Um, huge, good hands, uh, long arms, and kind of just a big body, go up and get it for you. Um, so I, I'm curious to see what he can do. And then Vinny Anthony, another guy, another, he's going to be a sophomore this year. Um, kind of another could be a factor in the slot. You know, we'll see how many guys they use, but they got a lot of weapons there. And it's easily the most intriguing position group on the team, just given the competition and how many guys could play key roles for them. All right, so uh, last season, Phil Longo's offense at North Carolina had three different tight ends with at least 15 catches and over 200 yards. Are these guys on the badge uh, on the Wisconsin team that can do what Longo wants at the tight end position? Or is there, are there guys at, at uh, on Wisconsin that can do those type of things? I think that's that's going to be a little bit of a weakness for them this year. Right? They might get creative with, with some of their bigger wide receivers. Maybe you see a McIntosh or a Chris Brooks Jr. guy maybe – maybe help out there. We'll see. I mean, we, we saw 15 practice in the spring, but that was just only the beginning of what they're installing and trying to do. Um, I think Clay Cundiff is a guy to watch out at, for at tight end. Um, you know, he had a nice start to last year and then, you know, he had like a hundred some yards, couple touchdowns it was on his way to a breakout year. Uh, and then he got blew out his knee against Ohio state uh, in the first half of that game. And that was the second straight year in which he, suffered a season ending lower body injury. So he's had terrible luck, but if he's healthy, if he's, if he's able to be available for them, he's going to be key for them this year. Cause he's really, they're only established like guy, the guy who's really proven it consistently. And that's even a small sample size, but he's going to be key for them. I think you could see some other guys like Jack Eschenbach, a six year senior. He has the, the measurables and the, in the skill set to be productive, but he's, he's another unknown cause he's, He's six year senior, but he, he's missed a lot of time with injuries and just hasn't had many chances to really be productive. And but I think a like a kind of a dark horse guy, maybe not so much to the like diehard fans who follow every in and out of camp and, and practices and day-to-day coverage. But Jack Pugh, I think if you're looking for a guy like nationally, like maybe to keep an eye on, I think he's he's gonna be a big factor for them. Um maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year, but he showed some flashes. Uh, of being a capable receiving threat. But I would say if there's, if there's one position on this offense that, that is like, you could say is a weakness, I think that tight end might be that, that'd probably be my pick just because I, there's just a lot of, there just feels like there's a lot of different skill sets there and maybe not enough of what they need in this kind of offense. Um, You know, last year, like North Carolina had like three or four tight ends that had a lot of catches and yards and were really productive. I don't see that being the case. I think, you can see like Cundiff, Eschenbach, Pugh, and, and Hayden Rucci too. That's another guy I didn't mention. Um, he's been primar- primarily a blocker in his career, but he's going to have to change up his kind of 
his game. He, you know, he caught a couple passes early last year, looked good too, and he, he looked natural at it. But just that just hasn't been what he's been asked to do. But I think um, if these guys can stay healthy, I think maybe they could be better than what people are expecting. But just a lot of question marks there, as you can see. So last but certainly not least, the quarterback position was upgraded significantly this offseason, not just with one guy, but they brought in three different transfers. And I'm going to highlight Tanner Mordecai just because I'm assuming he will be the starter this year, being, uh, what is he, a redshirt senior now, coming from being a starter for SMU, all that kind of stuff. But putting him in Phil Longo's offense, that's obviously very exciting for Wisconsin fans to go from that ground and pound that we talked about um, to a borderline air raid. And I say borderline because when Longo was at UNC, I mean, he had multiple running backs drafted, so he obviously still uses the running back. Um, but what is a reasonable expectation for uh, Tanner and the rest of the offense this season? Well, I think if you look at like national nationally this uh, this summer and spring, I felt I kind of felt like I mean, Mordecai was a really big deal for for them. I mean, this is a guy who's thrown for over seven thousand yards over the last two years, seventy two touchdowns. Interceptions might be a little bit of a concern through like 22 of them. And people, if you want to pick on some nitpick something, maybe that's it. But, you know, I I felt like his commitment was a big deal for them. It's a a six year guy who's proved himself um, can, can lead this team to instant success in year one under and year year one of fickle's time here. Um, But I, but I felt like his, the importance of it was maybe underrated nationally a little bit. I think people are kind of maybe overlooking Tanner Mordecai and maybe I don't have the right read on it, but it does, it does seem like, um, he has a lot of skeptics to kind of prove wrong this year. A lot of people seem to be doubting whether or not this success he's had it will translate to the Big Ten. Um, you know, we'll see. Time will tell on that. But but I think his, you know, you see rankings of the transfer quarterbacks and you see some guys ahead of him that haven't even played really at, at the collegiate level. And I think he's been disrespected a little bit in, in that regard, um, you know, I think the expectation is that he'll have a really consistent year. I'm, I'm not going to come out and say that he's going to put up the best numbers this program has ever seen from a quarterback. Russell Wilson had a really good season here in 2011. So, you know, I, I think the expectations here need to need to be maybe watered down a little bit because I think it, it can get a little bit over the top, but I think nationally they seem a little low and it seems like Mordecai, um, you know, has a lot of people to kind of prove wrong. He nearly declared for the NFL draft after after last season. He said he was about 90% sure, and he didn't, you know, he got some feedback that he didn't like, and he decided to come here in part two, wanting to prove himself at a, at a higher level. So I think he's motivated, um, really, really motivated, kind of knows the stakes, what's at, what's at stake for him. Obviously, big impl- implications for his NFL draft stock, and also, um, you know, the, he he's made the comment himself, this is my last year in college, and I want to win big games. I want to compete for championships. And uh, my, my expectations that he's going to have a really consistent year for him um, and a definite upgrade from what this program has had over the last couple of years, certainly better quarterback play than, than what they had in Mertz. You're, you're muted, Mike. Whoops. 
right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so with uh, uh, let's go ahead and move move to the defense here. So with uh, Mike Trussell, the son of Jim Trussell, I assume, of course, uh, uh, with his system coming in, how big of a change do you think uh, it will be for the returning players? Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of described it as like blending the matching the elite. And Trussell said, you know, has brought up the fact that his defenses at Cincinnati were really effective and, and put up some nice numbers over the last two years. You know, obviously in 2021, when they went to the playoff, um, they were a good, good unit that year. A couple of, you know, high NFL draft picks, especially defensive back wise with the uh, sauce Gardner. Um, and then obviously kind of blending that, what he did there with what was successful with that for them under Jim Leonard. And yeah, we, we saw a lot of that in the spring, you know, some things look similar. Um, they're, you know, their base, you know, three, four looks, you know, that looks similar, but we also saw some stuff that we hadn't seen in the past, similar to a three, three, five look with, you know, different responsibilities for outside linebackers. Daryl Peterson's a guy there at, at outside linebacker that, has to do a lot of different things, lining up off the ball, kind of lining up as a hybrid type player where he can drop into coverage or he can blitz or kind of play man to man, do a lot of different things. Um, so you've seen some, some responsibilities change with, with players in certain packages. And then, uh, you know, TJ Bowlers and other outside linebacker, bigger, a bigger guy, kind of like 280 some pounds. Um, you know, they'll line up his defensive end. They'll put him on the line, hand in the dirt. So like, there's a lot of things going on, like, just they're trying to use the best, get the, get the best 11 on the field. That's basically what they say. You know, you know, we got a lot of guys who offer different, different skill sets and they're going to try to try to get them on the field. And, you know, we saw a lot of three safety looks, obviously that's kind of typical around college football. Um, you know, they're still going to utilize that. Um, we saw some looks with three um, inside linebackers. That's probably the strength of this defense that they're inside linebackers um, like I mentioned earlier, those guys are kind of all improved as the year went on last year. So, you know, they're, they're trying to find a way to get to maximize those guys. I think the one question, you know, I think they're, they're set at safety and corner. I mentioned a couple of those guys already, Hunter Wohler, Carter Hallman, Alexander Smith. I think that's another part of this defense. I think that the secondary is going to be better this year with, with some younger guys taking steps and some guys getting healthier from last year, but I think if you're talking questions, I think the defensive line is where probably where it would be. Um, you know, I don't think they have anybody in the middle that, you know, you're losing a guy like Keanu Benton, who was really, really good for four years, really. And, you know, I don't think they have a sure replacement for him. I think they're going to try a lot of different things. Gio Paez is probably going to be the guy that gets the best look there, probably the most opportunities, the most snaps. Um, but, you know, I think they're worried a little bit there. Um, I think, you know, they they have – I don't think they have enough pass rush punch there on the defensive line. And I think um, they have some guys who are intriguing, like Rodas Johnson and James Thompson Jr., defensive ends. But both guys have kind of been up and down. They've dealt with injuries, or at least James Thompson has. Um, Darian Varner Jr., a transfer from Temple, I think they're really – counting on him to make a huge impact because, because for that reason, uh, playmaking, um, you know, he had seven and a half sacks last year at Temple, um, 12 tackles for loss, I believe. And then he got hurt like in the last month of the year. So, and he was recovering during the spring, but I think once fall camp starts, you're really going to see him start to make an impact. I think they got some guys there that you can see 
see like a lot of potential in, but like, I'm just not sure how it all fits yet. I have to see a little bit more. And I think like maybe run defense might be a little bit of a concern for them, just given the fact that I don't think they have a guy in the middle that you can really, really rely on yet. We'll see if somebody emerges if, you know, d- during fall camp, but I think the defensive line would be the, the weak link of this defense as constructed um, a lot of strengths though, too. You know, like I said, the inside linebackers, secondary, the outside linebackers, there's a lot of those guys. That's, that's kind of maybe, maybe another question too, that like who, who is going to be getting the snaps there? Cause there's just so many guys in the mix. I don't think they have that settled down yet. You got to transfer Jeff Petrowski jr. From Michigan state. He was productive two years ago. Um, then got injured. There's a lot of these guys that are coming off injuries on this defense that need to, that, that are hoping to maybe take another step or regain their form from a couple of years ago. So yeah, the defensive line and the outside linebackers are going to be points of emphasis for, at least for me watching these practices in the fall, just seeing, you know, kind of who's going to line up where, who's going to get the snaps and how they're maybe going to rotate guys. So, I mean, you, you, Perfect segue right for us. You did the hard work here. But rushing defense has been a cornerstone of Wisconsin football for a while now. I mean, they've been, what, top 10 for four or five years in a row at least. Um, And at least in the coming future, they should only get better bringing in Mike Tressel, who 2022 AFCA Assistant Coach of the Year is Defensive Coordinator at his last stop. So what should be expected of the defensive line this season? I know you said it was a bit of a concern, but how big of a concern do you see that drop off being? I think you have guys who can do their jobs just fine there. I I think that's obviously should be, I I think that's like the baseline, what you want, like don't make mistakes, just do your job. I think they have enough of those guys, but I just don't know if they have guys who can be dynamic for them. Um, Farner is the guy they're going to have to, to lean on for that. And, uh, I think Rodas Johnson, James Thompson Jr. Showed in flashes last year that, that they can make plays and be productive, but they need a little bit more consistency. Um, I'm really curious to see just the interior. They got three guys there, Paez, Mullins, who's technically a defensive end, but his body type is probably more suited for the interior. We saw him used on the interior. Uh, in the spring and then Curtis Neal, who was a younger player. I'll be curious to see which one of those guys they kind of rely on there and how much they even go to them. I think maybe, uh, you know, with this defense, you might see maybe more some of the, maybe some of the, they'll go a little bit smaller. Um, You know, you saw TCU do that last year, you know, it didn't work out for them well in the, (laughs) in the championship game, but I mean, it it can work. You've, You've seen, you know, smaller, you know, more athletic defenses kind of work. I think that's kind of where the, where it's going. Um, and I think their defensive line recruiting, uh, they've done a nice job addressing it in like future future classes. And Jamel Howard, too, is another guy. Uh, he's going to be a true freshman. So we'll see where he fits in. I don't know what exactly, you know, his role is going to be as a true freshman. Um, he didn't enroll early for spring, so he's going to be a newbie, you know, in, in the fall. So or he you know, obviously already enrolled for summer workouts, but we'll get our first look at him in the fall. So. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 enough there's enough guys there that have played and that 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 are reliable. But I just I'm I'm curious to see how they hold up against the run, um, you know, up the middle when they have to go heavy, and who can who can supplement the playmaking other than Varner, who they're who they're counting on. I think those guys right now are going to be Rodas Johnson and James Thompson Jr. and and uh, we'll see you know we'll see how consistent you know those guys can be throughout the year. 
All right, so uh, last couple questions here. So the uh, the Badgers had a ton of returning experience in the linebacker room with four different guys that played at least 11 games with uh, Mike Trestle running a 3-3-5, which we always respect that. The linebackers will be uh, relied on a lot more to help stop the run and uh, rush the passer. Uh, who do you see as the uh, leader of that linebacker group? Uh, it's it's definitely Muma Najangmena, who's a redshirt senior. Guy loved team and tackles last year with 95, had about 11 tackles for loss. Could could use an uptick in in production in the sack department. He wasn't, he didn't have particularly high numbers there last year. But I think you know in this defense, to your point, you know that'll that'll take a boost. You know this year they're, they're going to be relying on him and and Turner and Cheney as well to to make plays. Uh, he's he's the leader for sure in, in that group. Um, but they but they haven't they have a lot of guys who can play. Um, you know Cheney last year was productive when he had chances. Turner was was the, the other starter alongside uh, Muma Najangmenta. Um, you know, he had a good year um, too. He you know came on strong. You know, as the year went on, so um, you know we'll we'll see what what next level you know next steps they can take. They're going to have to, like you said, like I said earlier, uh, rush the passer a little bit more effectively. Um, but you also have other guys down the depth chart too, like Tatum Grass. Um, Another guy who played some, you know, quite a bit of snaps last year. And if he's not contributing on defense, he'll be a piece on special teams. And then Brian Sanborn, too, um, a younger player, might still be a year away from really having a role. But, um, you know, I've liked what I've seen from him, too, in flashes when we've, when he's gotten chances. So they have they, this is the, definitely their biggest strength of the defense. you got three, three guys who are going to be very, very productive who were productive last year. And then you got some other guys who can help and feel good about if somebody gets injured. So we got one more question about the defense and that is the secondary. You said it was going to be a strength of the team. Um, explain to us how they're going to improve from last season. Cause they weren't bad last season, but they weren't quite on the level of that rushing defense. Yeah. I think just, you know, guys being a year older, it helps, um, you know, Ricardo Hallman started for Alexander Smith last year, first seven games, and he was really good. He was quite good at times uh, over those first seven games. And they got to Michigan State and they picked on him, just had a terrible, forgettable performance there. Uh, and that kind of rattled his cage, really, you know, for the rest of the year. Didn't see much of him. Um, and then um, Alexander Smith is a six-year senior, but, you know, he was – dinged up all of last year with a hamstring injury. And those are just tough to, to come back from when you're not really properly resting it and, and giving yourself enough time. So I think, you know, you'll see a, a improvement from him this year in his sixth year. Um, and then, you know, you got Jason Matry, a transfer from Boston college, who's going to play in the slot. Uh, very, very physical player, very, very willing tackler uh, and versatile too. He can, he can give you some help at, if you have to move him outside, you can do that. If you have to move him to safety, he can do that. He's kind of a Swiss army army knife for them. Um, and, and very physical, high energy player. They like the way the fire he brings and the leadership he brings to the team. Um, and then in at safety, you got Hunter Wooler, um, another guy who they're probably going to use in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, they line him up in the box, they'll line him up, you know, maybe kind of like a slot corner or play man to man or, you can blitz them off the off the edge. You can 
can do so many different things with him. They're really, really intrigued about just the possibilities they have there. Uh, Kamoi Latu, he played a lot of football for him last year. He was a transfer from Utah, had a couple interceptions. Another physical guy. He's not the biggest, you know, safety in that group, but he's thumper, can hit hard. Um, very, very, you know, all these guys can come up and play the run. That, that's the biggest thing for them. They're, you know, they're they're all athletic. They can run. They can come up, they're tacklers, um, they can drop back and, and, and hold up fine in coverage. Travian Blaylock is probably like the most interesting player in that group, or maybe even the whole defense, because, you know, he's kind of been through like another guy who's kind of just been through some tough injury stuff um, towards AC. He was in line to be a starter last year, last spring towards ACL and in, in April. So, you know, they're, they're excited about what he can add. Um, just kind of another similar similar guy um, just in the way he can play and the versatility he adds. And then Austin Brown is uh, going to be a sophomore. And uh, I don't know like how big his role is going to be, but I mean, the way he played in the spring, I mean, they're going to have to find a way to get him on the field because he just kind of has some natural playmaking ability that you can't, can't teach. And it's just, you know, all the quickness and just the instincts, they really like what he can give them. So, there are a lot of guys, young and old, on the secondary. It's a good mix, mixture of guys that have, you know, taken, you know, showed strides in the spring or, you know, last year got experience. And then, you know, you got some freshmen too that might might be asked to to play some some key roles, um, especially at cornerback. They're not very experienced there outside of like the top three. That that could be a potential concern if one of those guys gets hurt. And you're gonna have to rely on freshmen, but you know, Jonas Declona. Um, he was committed to Cincinnati, um, and then flipped to Wisconsin after Fickle came here. So, uh, he's a guy that, that really, really impressed me of all the freshmen who enrolled early. I think he was like the top performer in my book. Um, you know, I thought I really liked what I saw from him, looked comfortable, didn't look intimidated or afraid. You know, he played fast, seemed like he picked up his responsibilities pretty quickly. Um, and then Nizier Four Queen, I think that's Four Queen, or I don't know how I had to. That's you see, you had trouble pronunciation earlier. I'm having it now. He's transferred from Grand Valley State. Uh, they picked him up in May um, after they realized, well, we really don't have any experience behind the top three at cornerback, so we're going to have to get somebody that can we can use as a safety blanket. But I think he, I think he could be more than that. Um, he's got some nice measurables, very tall and long. Um, and he was a division two All-American at Grand Valley State. So um, oh, wow. I think, uh, you know, he's kind of one of those like high upside pickups for them that that could really help him this year because injuries happen and, and you know, you're going to need depth at cornerback. You don't want to be relying on too many, too many young guys there because that could be that could be trouble because it's just such a tough position. It's, you know, every position on that field is hard. But I mean, when you're getting roasted as a as a true freshman, you, that that just. I don't, I don't think they want like a crisis of confidence there. They want guys to, that, that, that have done it before and they can ease these young guys along. So that was a big pickup for them. Hmm. All right. So uh, last question here. So just talking about the uh, schedule coming, uh, coming this year in 2023. So uh, the big 10 is always a gauntlet playing nine conference games. That's one of the big points of contention among like SEC fans and just SEC in general, because uh, SEC decided to stay at eight games for, uh, for 2024. And we'll see going forward after that. But uh, with Big Ten playing nine conference games, only one team is that's played nine conference games has ever won the playoffs or won the national championship. That was Ohio State back in 2014. 
Um, but uh, for the 2023 season, the Badgers traveled to Pullham, uh, uh, Washington, I'm sorry, to play with Zoo in uh, week two. And then uh, they get Nebraska um, after that. And then uh, Georgia Southern from just down the road from us in, uh, in Statesboro. No, and then... they get the Nebraska beating Georgia Southern oh, my bad. from just down the road from us. <laughs> there you go. That's a big giant, Giant killers from Statesboro just ending careers. Um, but that's Especially not going to happen. Scott Frost. Yeah. <laughs> RIP. Um, so, uh, yeah, they get Georgia Southern from uh, just down the road from us in Statesboro, and then they have a, a tough test for the uh, the rest of the season. Or, I'm sorry, later in the season with Ohio State, probably the only game that they're going to be not favored in uh, all season uh, with, again, Ohio State out of the East. With uh, Vegas projecting a win total of nine, uh, do you what do you see the final regular season record actually being? You see it over or under, you know, push at nine. What do you think? I think right at nine is where I'm at right now for regular season. I think that's, I think with some Wisconsin fans, just the way this offseason has been, maybe you call that conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. I, I think nine wins is a very, very good, great first year for, for Fickle. That would be a great outcome for them. And, and nine wins in the Big Ten West, I mean, that's, that puts you right there. Yeah. Um, and last year that would have been too many wins, I think. Right. I think, <laughs> I think Purdue only had what eight wins or I don't know. It was a mess last year. The standings. Uh, yeah. I think Purdue had eight when they went into uh, it went right down to the wire with all these teams kind of clumped at like six, seven, eight wins. So, you know, nine wins, that would be a very successful year. That's kind of where I'm at. I, I like the schedule for them this year, but I do think that that, that start of the year is kind of challenging. You know, you get those two non-conference, you get those two non-conference home games, yeah, that's that would be a piece of cake. But I mean, trip out west to play Washington State right away at week two—that's that's tough. Um, I've never been to Pullman, Washington before, but uh, I've imagined that it's a pretty good atmosphere, a tough place to play. Uh, it's, you know, I don't think I don't know what kind of team. I haven't done my preseason too much preseason studying on many of the opponents yet, other than Big Ten teams. But um, you know, I think that could be a tough road game. You know, traveling—that's a tough, tough road trip. And then Purdue two weeks later, you know, that's a, that's a Friday night game. That's a Friday night road game. Um, you know, yeah, Purdue, Purdue's a giant killer. Yeah. And they, and they have a knack. I mean, Wisconsin actually hasn't lost to Purdue. It's 16 straight games. They've won over the Boilermakers. Oh, wow. That's Shoot. just okay. goes back to like 2000. Better hope Wisconsin's not ranked number two and they go to Purdue. Yeah, that, that's, that's, awesome. that's their thing. Well, that's the thing, you know, it's going to be a night game. Ideal. You know, you'd think that Wisconsin would be ranked. Um, that's, you know, that uh, Ross Aid Stadium is a tough place to play and mm-hmm. it'll be early in the year, first Big Ten game. So, you know, those Purdue fans will be fired up for that one. And that's going to be a tough, tough one. And then, you know, they, I think they get a bye after that. And Rutgers, you know, that should be, you know, that's the Big Ten's bandy. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, and then Iowa, and then that, that's a, the tough, the toughest stretch of the year for them is, Iowa, Illinois, and Ohio State, and that's, you know, you, you get Iowa at home, and then you get just that Illinois right now, I mean, is turning into this, that really, really, I don't know how to describe it, annoyingly tough team to play. I think that's how yeah. fans would maybe describe them right now, just because, like, they don't really have, like, they they, were, they had a great running back last year, but other than that, it was their defense that was carrying them. That's just, that's just yeah, their really, secondary was so good last year. Yeah. That was a tough. I mean, that's a tough road game to have in between Iowa and Ohio State. So that that could be a big trap game. I actually, if I had a, if I had a pencil in losses right now, I'd go 
I think I'd have Illinois as one of them and Ohio State. I don't know what other one. I think they're going to drop one somewhere else, either Washington State or Purdue probably. Maybe Minnesota too. That's that's another they got another. I feel like you know they got some tough road games this year, despite having somewhat of a favorable schedule. So yeah, I think nine wins would. That's where I'm at. That's that's kind of where if I look at the schedule and be realistic about it and and not because it's easy when you cover a team and you, you know you know what you know and everything and you kind of just go through the schedule and say oh that, you know that's a win that's a win but you know, I think just be realistic about realistic about it considering these you know what these other teams have done in the off season and who they bring back from last year. I think nine wins is appropriate and we'll see maybe 10 if they can steal one from Ohio state. I mean, that's, that's no matter what the records yeah. are. We're all fingers crossed on them. Yeah. Beating Ohio state. Yeah, that would make be- us so happy. Yeah, If there's one thing that, that, uh, that we all have in common is just a dislike for Ohio state besides my, my Michigan fandom and all that, just dealing with Ohio state fans the last year. I mean, that's the reason why I have the picture in my background that I do, <laughs> but <laughs> that, that's the uh, infamous targeting issue. Yeah. wasn't yeah. Target, yeah. Targeting, targeting. Yeah, it's only yeah. targeting if your name is Ryan Day. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean that's gonna be regardless of what Wisconsin's record is at that point for that game, and that's so many storylines there with Fickle and his connection yeah. to Ohio State, and 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 Buckeyes haven't been to Camp Randall since 2016, so mm. you know that's that's gonna be a huge opportunity for the program to get a signature win in Fickle's first year. So yeah, nine wins. That's where I'm at. Okay, and just just for uh, uh just FYI for anyone that was wondering, so just looking at uh, Washington State because I was kind of curious about them. I kind of was listening to some stuff uh, earlier in the week. They're over under for the uh, the season. Their season win total is five and a half, so that might be good enough for like <laughs> middle of the road Pac twelve. But still, going to Pullman is going to be tough tough for uh, for anybody really, especially coming. And I from- will say a rare plug from me for a noon Big Ten game, because those are normally like 13-10 games. The Georgia Southern-Wisconsin game, you've got mm-hmm. two big-name coaches, Luke Fickle, Clay Helton. you got two air raid offenses going against each other. Yes. Like, yes. if you need something to watch September 16th at noon, <laughs> turn, turn the Wisconsin-Georgia Southern game on. First yeah, off. That might be a fun I, one. That might be a fun yeah. one. support support the small schools you know Mm -hmm. just first and foremost especially since they're in our neighborhood yeah but second everybody loves offense especially when you don't have a dog in fight you know for all of our listeners you know i just i think that would be a really fun game to watch if i i will probably be tailgating for the georgia south carolina games that will be on record (laughs) for me um well yeah we go ahead this at the um, so last year was Georgia Southern's first uh their first uh season at not running the triple option in like ever, and I mean, they were putting up all kinds of records. They were like for the most part when they're on TV or even if you watch them on ESPN ESPN Plus, they were kind of fun to watch. So I I mean they probably will be better next year. They hit the transfer transfer portal transfer portal hard uh, as well. So I mean it can be done. So like that's definitely something to look forward to for uh, Wisconsin. That just because you bring bring in a bunch of new not a bunch, but uh, just cha- radically changing the offense that uh, it can be successful. All right, Mike, we want to thank you again for coming on and talking to us. I know I learned a ton. I know Mike did. I'm sure our listeners will as well. Um, we really just want to thank you again for uh, spending the time to talk to us tonight. And um, do you have anything you'd like to plug before you get out of here? 
Yeah, I mean, thanks, thanks guys for having me on. Uh, any of your listeners want to follow me on Twitter at uh, at M Hogan Reports on Twitter? I'm not on Threads yet, but uh, you can find you can find me there and post all my work there. And uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Fun. Yes, thank you. Right, thank you. All right, guys. Once again, we want to thank Mike Hogan for coming on and talking to us. Go follow him on Twitter. He is extremely knowledgeable about all things Wisconsin. Just switched over to Rivals.com. So read all of his stuff there if you are interested. We both truly believe that Wisconsin is going to be significantly better this season. Um, we are going to do our conference championship preview here in just a few weeks. So you can catch if either of us think Wisconsin are going to win their division there but it is our one year anniversary so i just want to thank all you guys for supporting us through this past year um through the ups and the downs off season playoffs back-to-back national championships all of the above i mean, we truly appreciate your support more than i think either of us are intelligent enough to put into words um no, I mean, it, re- it really just means a lot that week after week, you guys are coming back and listening to what we have to say and who we talk to. So from the bottom of both of our hearts, we want to thank you for uh, for the support and the continued growth as we've seen this offseason. But I do have I to want, I want to add, ahead, I want to add one thing real quick. As long as y'all, like, since the podcast has been going on, Georgia has not lost a game. So as long as y'all keep supporting us and we keep growing, Georgia will not lose a game. Guaranteed. The logic is sound. I don't. Yeah. I. What holes can you poke through that? Like uh, fifteen and zero since the podcast started. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know. I'm not saying we're the cause of it, but I'm not saying we're not. Facts. Yeah. I. Do you really want to mess with that? Do you want to see? Do you want to stop listening and then cost Georgia a game? I don't think so. Yeah. I, if you are a loyal, loyal Georgia fan and you don't want to see them lose, you got to listen to the podcast. It just multiple times. Download. Get on. Get on somebody at work's phone or computer. Subscribe anyway, even if they don't uh, play it during the break. Especially if they're an Ohio State fan. Yeah. <laughs> like ownership like from Ohio must be super high. Special. Get get on their Instagram. Follow us and turn on notifications. Because until Ryan Day shuts up, I will post a reel every time he talks about that call should have been targeting roasting Ohio State as I have done this entire offseason. And it's so much fun. Like, no, nobody – I don't know who's defending Ohio State in that matter besides Ohio State fans. I really don't. I, you know, I will say – some of I've I've learned a lot about uh, video editing, putting reels together, that sort of stuff. I will say one of my proudest achievements over the last year was that sweet chin music reel that I made. Um, <laughs> and if you haven't watched it, go to our Instagram at nothing.finer.pod. Give us a follow while you're there, but watch that reel. It should be the second post that's not pinned on uh, on our page there i'm not i'm y'all know i'm technologically illiterate so give me a break um but if it's not already on twitter i don't know if i sent you the video we'll get it up there i think it's up there okay 
If it's up there, it's up there. If not, we will get it up there. Twitter is at FinerPod. The threads, if that's still a thing, I'm not entirely sure. I was told it um, died um, like 36 hours after it started. I don't really know. Um, just just like superstition-wise, I'm still putting shit on there. Um, okay. It's nothing.finer.pod, the same as the uh, Instagram handle. Um, Facebook and YouTube, search us there. Subscribe to the YouTube. I know we haven't put up a video in a while, but my camera broke. And uh, we have been... First off, I've been busy at work. Y'all know I got a full-time job. Let's let's cut me a break, okay? It's like 100 degrees yeah. out in Savannah. I am calm, chill a little bit. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, we're also getting the office together, so I'll have all of my memorabilia stuff behind me here shortly. I got a china cabinet, my grandmother's china cabinet over here to my right that is quite literally going to be 100% full of whiskey here within the next week or so so that'll be up in the view it'll be a good time we'll get youtube videos back up but facebook and youtube just search us there join the groups because that's what we're going to be getting the hot takes and all that kind of stuff for an episode coming up here soon um if you rate and review the show like um you know i'm just going to say the username from apple that rated and reviewed the show cupboy69 rated and reviewed the show we appreciate it. We love you for it. I will not even make a comment about your username. Reach out to us and get your sticker, man. Like I, I've said it since we started. I got plenty of stickers. I will mail you a sticker for rating and reviewing the show. And that goes for anybody that does it. it mm-hmm. I you don't, don't have care to be a cuck make... boy to get on or to get Correct. a sticker. You do not have to be cuckboy69 to get a sticker. No. Please. Rate and review the show. It helps us out when people search Georgia Podcasts on the internet. But also, I will send you a sticker. So, you know, put it on your car, put it on your forehead. Help help support us, you know. Um, put it at a bar, make a, make a fucking QR code for the podcast. I mean, just help us out. I mean, I got enough and finder sticker on one of the beer fridges at the Georgia Theater. So, Oh, there you go. You know. Shout out Corey Smith. He also got a sticker, but he's charging $50 a ticket to get in this Savannah show. So I will wait until he goes back to Athens. Damn. I have been to probably 15 Corey Smith shows, and it would take two or three of those combined to get to $50 a ticket for what I've paid. So so we will be waiting until he gets to Savannah or Athens. I, you know, tangent. It's it's enough to find a podcast. We're going to tangent a little bit. I've had multiple glasses, 120 proof whiskey, so it kind of is what it is. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's the if you made it to this point, you're a real one. If you made it to this point, you are. You know what? If you made it to this point, send me a text. I'll give you a sticker. <laughs> I'll send you feet pics. Mike sends you feet pics. I'll send you stickers with a note that you probably can't even read, but. Um, no, I think it's the venue because there's bands I've never heard of that are going to this venue in Savannah that are like $40 a ticket. So I don't, I don't think it's him. It's that scab um, money they're trying to get. I mean, it's on victory. So like you might get mugged oh, okay, on your way no. out. So they're making sure you get mugged on your way in. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Um, no guys, I, you know, like I said, I'm already a little tipsy, but we really do appreciate Literally everything you guys have done for us, whether it's sharing a reel we've made, listening to the show, 
joining the groups, following us on anything, every little bit helps for us to get an audience. And honestly, you know, I, I've talked about it before. I'm, I probably would have quit by now if it wasn't for you guys. So we appreciate it. We love you. We need you. You know, that's just kind of is what it is. But always remember, there is nothing finer in the land than a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan. Third and a mile. Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullardy. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw. Lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.